0: So, welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you all here with us. And uh, we're just to reiterate this class, we're dealing with end time gardening, gardening in the end times. And uh, so, that means that to some degree, we not only are going to speak about the blessings and the principles of agriculture and gardening, but we also need to discuss some things as it relates to Bible prophecy. And so, we're going to see how we can combine the two faithfully to the Word of God so we can come to a faithful understanding. Now, can you all hear me in the back? Because, you know, I don't have a mic, so this is good? All right, good reverberation in the room. So let's go ahead and let's have a word of prayer, and then we will begin. Our loving Father, we thank you, Lord, for the blessed privilege to once again sit under your feet, and let you be our teacher, and to hear your words. And we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit, who's the only effectual teacher of truth. We pray that he might come and minister to our hearts and open our eyes, and help us behold wondrous things out of your law. For this is our prayer we do ask in Jesus name. Amen. If there's one thing we all must be individually. are students of prophecy. Individually. It is great ladies to have your husband on your side that you can say honey. What is that about and honey? What's that about that? That's nice. That's a wonderful privilege. But even last year. When I think about how many husbands I had to bury, when I think about how many wives I had to bury, I had to do both last year. People that it was the last thing I think on their minds, as well as on my mind, that they were going to die in 2021. But they did. And this is one of the reasons amongst many why God says study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Once your children are at ages that they can understand and comprehend, we need to teach it to our children. Teach it in palatable ways. That's not an issue. Give it to them in a way that their precious little minds can understand it. But at the end of the day, the focus of all of us as God's people is we must be acquainted with faithful understanding of Bible prophecy. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs a beautiful statement. It says a prudent man. This is Proverbs 22 and verse three. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hides himself. It then says, but the simple or the unwise pass on and are punished. God wants you and God wants me to be very, very wise. He wants us to be able to foresee the problems that are coming and to take the appropriate steps to know how to deal with it. For if we do not do so, the Bible refers to us as being simple minded. And as a result of being simple minded, we see what happens. We receive the punishment and nobody wants the punishment. Nobody wants the punishment. And so God wants us to understand we need to foresee what's coming. Now, the first point I want to talk about when we deal with Bible prophecy is to understand why did God give it to us? Because sometimes, you know, go to the book of Colossians 2. Let me show you something. This this is such a powerful principle in Scripture. Colossians 2. I remember a time when I used to study the Bible and I wanted to understand every doctrine I could get my hands on. I wanted to know all the teachings. And uh, as I began to grow in years and to mature in Christ, while I do want to know the teachings, the thing that I look for most when I study the Bible is the heart of God. I'm always looking at, Lord, what are you trying to communicate to me about your heart and how you want that to be my heart? And I have found that this is the most faithful way to study the scripture is to allow the mind of God to become yours and my mind. And when we look at Bible prophecy, we have to remember some things, because look at this principle in Colossians 2. I'm going to ask someone with a nice, loud voice to read verse 6. Colossians 2 and verse 6. Could someone read that for us, please? As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That is a very important principle. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so in like manner, walk ye in him. If we receive Christ wrong, we're going to walk wrong. But if we receive Christ right, we're going to walk right. That is the same principle when it comes to Bible prophecy. If you study Bible prophecy wrong, You're going to make horrible applications when you think about how to react to Bible prophecy. But if you study Bible prophecy right, you're going to make beautiful applications as it relates to how to walk with him. So the first point we want to look at is the focal key point of why God gives us prophecy. It was found in none other than John chapter 14 and verse 29. In John 14 and verse 29, the Bible clearly says, and now I have told you before it comes to pass so that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Prophecy is God telling us something that is going to happen before it happens. That's prophecy. God telling us something that is going to happen before it happens. The effect of that is that when it happens, it helps us believe. And that's why the more that we live in an unbelieving world is the more we need to teach faithful Bible prophecy. God gave Bible prophecy to help unbelievers believe. And this is why I don't like when I hear constantly, especially among seven day Adventists. Oh, we need to move away from prophecy and talk more about love. It's like, what is that? It's, listen, teaching Bible prophecy Now, granted, I know many ministers have failed at this. But teaching Bible prophecy should always be a revelation of God's love. They are not antagonistic one toward another. They are absolutely unified. In fact, we know that when Jesus preached the gospel, he did it based on love. Is that right? Go to Mark chapter one. I want you to watch this because too many ministries and too many people of God, too many ministers, we're moving away from prophecy thinking that we want to be more loving and all these other things. And it's like, no, it just means we have to reshift how we teach prophecy or how we understand it. That's why I said, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. Some of us receive prophecy terribly. And now we see it as something dangerous to share with others, which is nonsense, because look at what Mark one says. If you go to Mark one. Look at verses 14 and 15. Keep in mind John the Baptist public ministry is going down. And right at the time that John the Baptist public ministry is going down, it's as it were that John had a baton in his hand. And as his public ministry is going down, Jesus, public ministry begins to rise and John passes on the baton. And notice how it's articulated in verses 14 and 15. So who can read that for us? Mark one, 14 and 15. Nice loud voice like my dear sister read earlier. Who would do that? John was put in prison. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Amen. Now notice after that, John is put in prison. His public ministry is going what down because now he's in prison and we know that he didn't get out, not alive. So his public ministry has gone down. But praise God of his faithfulness that as soon as John's public ministry goes down, Christ's ministry now begins to rise and he begins to preach. And what was the words that he used when he preached? He said the time is fulfilled. He's literally quoting from Daniel nine because Daniel nine prophesied of when the Messiah was going to come on the scene. And so Jesus is preaching the gospel But it's based on prophecy. This is how God's ministers in the last day are to preach. We are to preach and teach the gospel, but always keep it connected to Bible prophecy. This is how we have the endorsement of heaven and how the spirit of God will work mightily. Now, some may say, well, I've been preaching and I've been teaching and I've been doing lots of things that, uh, you know, I didn't focus on prophecy and I still see great results. I would encourage you to read volume one. Of the Testimonies to the Church, page 337, read about Elder K. Elder K was a gospel worker. Elder K obviously believed in the Sabbath, and Elder K would preach and teach the Seventh-day Sabbath truth. But when he finished preaching and teaching about the Sabbath, Ellen White said this to Elder K, and you read this in Volume 1, 337. She said this, Your teaching of the Sabbath was no different than the seventh day Baptist. Do you think she was complimenting him? No, she was not complimenting him. That wasn't something for him to say. Great. No, she said, your teaching of the Sabbath was no different than what a seventh day Baptist would do. And then she said this next. She said, but had you taught the Sabbath connected to the messages? What messages is she talking about? She says the three angels messages. She said, had you taught the Sabbath in connection with the three angels messages, she says a power would have attended your teaching that would have stirred the minds of the hearers. Do you know that that can apply to our teaching of agriculture? Do you know that that can apply to our teachings of all these things? When we teach it, we can do good work. But we can do greater work if we connect it with the messages. Are you following that? And so it is that God is saying, I want my people to understand it. Now, watch. Now, I've told you before it comes to pass. We're talking about the purpose of prophecy. I've told you before it comes to pass so that when it comes to pass, you might believe. But really. Believe what? What would you say? Somebody says, believe, believe what? His word is true. Believe what Jesus says. Sounds fantastic. Now watch this. Believe prophecy. Very true. I'm going to connect it back because we're talking about the foundation of prophecy. If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So the first thing we got to do is get the foundation right. If we get the foundation right, then every other prophetic revelation by the grace of God will be right, powerful, and beautiful. The purpose of prophecy is to help non-believers believe. That's what the verse is saying. However, Let's look at an echo of this point that was said one chapter earlier in John 13 and verse 19. There's something Jesus says here. It's basically a repetition of what we just read in John 14, 29. But now what we're going to do is we're going to watch with great specificity the words that Christ uses in verse 19. That's a little different than verse 29 of John 14. Take a look. Now I tell you before it comes that when it has come to pass, you might believe what? I that I am he. Now, now th- this is where it gets sweet. Have you noticed that the word he looks different than any of the other words in the verse? Have you noticed that? What is that called? That's right. It's italicized. Now, we know that when something is written in italics, that means that it's not in the original manuscript. So then that means that Jesus was actually saying, now I tell you before it comes to pass so that when it comes to pass, you might believe that I am. Are you following that? All Bible prophecy is given to humanity that we may know, understand, walk with. And receive the mind of the great I am. If this this is why it makes no sense to me how somebody could teach Bible prophecy and be such an ugly person. It makes no sense to me. It's like, how could you understand Bible prophecy and be so rude? How could you understand Bible prophecy and be so careless? How could you understand Bible prophecy and take the names of your own brothers And make a popular YouTube channel out of exposing their names, not only to the church, but to the world at large. How does that represent the mind of God? And what God is trying to say is that, listen, the whole purpose of prophecy is that you may understand that I am. And somebody says, I am what? Well, let's take a look. There are several things in the Bible that Jesus said I am. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the resurrection. He said, I am Jehovah God, the self existent one. He said, I am not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I came to live in harmony with it and teach others to do the same. He said, I am come to save wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked enemies from the path of sin and calling them to my righteousness. So stop thinking that you're too sinful for Jesus to save. He says, I am the son of God and therefore equal to the father and have all power. And of course, he says, I am the one who promises to be with my disciples always and forever. These are all the things that Jesus said he is. These are all the things that he said, I am. You can move anything, just pile it all together. I just want you to see that prophecy. You see, if God can see nearly 200 years before Cyrus was a twinkle in his mother's eye, that one day Cyrus was going to be not only the king of, of the Medes of the Persians, but he's also going to be used to help take down Babylon. Twenty seven years, 26 to 27 years before Nebuchadnezzar ascends into kingship, God already said Nebuchadnezzar is going to be my servant and take the children of Israel captive. If God can be that accurate on Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome, if God is that accurate on all of these prophetic utterings, why would we doubt him when he says I am with you always? Always. You see, that 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 was what God was really trying to do with Bible prophecy. That's why we get caught up in details. That's why we go from 457 B.C. all the way down to 1844 and all of the dates in between. All we're doing is showing how incredibly accurate, wise and loving the great I am is with world events. And that should increase our faith that Jesus is everything that he said he is. And it's deep how we miss that point. If we're really children of prophecy, we should be the happiest people on planet Earth. I'm serious. That's why when I'm walking around here, I'm bubbling over with joy. First of all, I feel fantastic and I thank God every day for that. I'm serious. I feel like Superman. It's like I just got this energy that's just bubbling all inside of me, right? So I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for a clear mind. I'm thankful for a loving relationship with God. I'm thankful that I got a bride from my side that is the bomb.com. I mean, I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful for so many things. And let me tell you, knowing where I come from, it's a miracle that I even stand before you. And what God is trying to say is, is that, listen, I want to remove doubt from the hearts of my people because that's how sin came in the world. It was through the instrumentality of doubt. And the one thing that he has to have, because we're getting ready to go through some times of trouble that all we're going to be doing is hanging on the cord. Which is faith. That's all we got left. So what that means all doubt has to be removed. And the best way God eliminates doubt is to bring us back to prophecy, because the more we see an accurate on point God as it relates to all these things in the world, why would he doubt him when he tells us to get out of the city into the country? Who's going to take care of us? What kind of question is that? The real question is not who's going to take care of you. The real question is, did God send you? Because once God sends you, all God's biddings are enablings. If he sent you, you have nothing to worry about. That's the question. It's not, Lord, how are you going to take care of me? God's like, I have a thousand ways of which you know not one. God's like, I got you. All we need to know is, did he send me? If he sent me, I'm good. Because God's will, God's bill. You understand that? God's will, God's bill. Got that from my dear brother, Christian Berdahl. Now... Here's the key. Understanding all of this, right? You'll remember that there was a prophetic uttering that the Bible gave about Noah. It was in Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be also at the coming of the Son of Man. There are a couple of things that I think are very important for us to learn from Noah, because even though we study Bible prophecy and we learn that that Noah Noah's days were were very, very wicked, right? You read that in Genesis 6 and verse 11 and 12. You see that the people were wicked. They were wicked continually, evil continually. So granted, when we think of the days of Noah, we think of a lot of evil. But we should think about a, a, a little bit of righteousness. Because if the majority of the people in the world are going to imitate the evils of the antediluvians, doesn't that mean that there'll be a few people in the world That's going to imitate the righteousness of Noah. And that's where our focus should be. Not how can we be like the antediluvians? How can I be more like that man, Noah? Now, looking at that prophecy from that angle, let's remember what God said. Here's one of the first focal points we want to remember When we study Bible prophecy and we're watching end time events, we want to make sure. All right, Lord, I want to be counted amongst those who are preparing to meet my God. And so, Father, give me wisdom to know what to do. The first thing on the list, God says, is this. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And watch what it says next. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and how much? and all thy house into the ark for thee have i seen righteous before me in this generation one of the first things we need to remember is the only people that could enter the ark were those whom god could account as righteous the people who went into the ark was not just noah but it was also his what his family. And this is why when you read Hebrews 11 and verse 7, it shows us our first duty, does it not? By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his what? His house. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So please keep in mind that Noah prioritized his family when he saw the end is near. And this is what we want to consider. When we think about end time prophecy, we want to make sure Lord, it's not about just me being saved. Where do my children stand? Where does my husband stand? Where does my wife stand? Because brothers and sisters, I think God gives us enough wisdom. You know, we don't put these things on blast. We don't make this top news, but wives, you know, your husbands, husbands, you know, your wives, And I think we know our children as parents and we can see when it's, you know, we kind of say to ourselves, should Jesus come tonight? I could see that the condition that my husband is in at this time, I don't have the assurance that God would be able to save him. I don't have the assurance that God would be able to save my wife. I don't have the assurance that God would be able to save my children. And that's God's little way of just saying first things first. If you can see that, I gave you the ability to see that so you can do something about it. And so my first encouragement to each and every one of us is understanding that troublesome times are here. Filling men's hearts with fear and freedoms we all hold dear. Now is at stake. We need to understand that we're living in that time right now. We're in a new America. We always read Revelation 13. We always wondered. How is America going to get to a place that is going to cause or force individuals against their will to ultimately worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed? How is America, the land of the free, the home home of the brave? How is America going to get to that place? And brothers and sisters, it seems like since 9-11, those questions are being very quickly answered, especially with the latest challenges related to this thing called COVID-19. We have seen great levels of irrational, knee-jerk movements. We've seen things that are terribly inconsistent, and it's like if you say anything about it, you're listed or blacklisted, and the risk goes on. And I understand. Listen, Satan always sends Ahimezas. He's always going to send. He's going to send somebody who wasn't sent before the real messenger arrives. You understand that? Before Mary had Jesus miraculously there was already the story of Nimrod and Isis and the miraculous birth of that baby born on December 25th by the name of Tammuz. You follow that? the, The devil's a student of prophecy too. And when he studies prophecy, he'll send all sorts of false, confusing messages to muddy the waters when the true messenger comes. Are you following? God knows that we do have things that we can raise up as very serious issues of how even our own church let alone how churches and the world are responding to this crisis that we're living in. And there was a much better way that COVID could have been handled. But we saw that there's a silencing, there's a muzzling mechanism to those who go against the status quo. And brothers and sisters, that's like a commercial for the movie that's getting ready to come up. And God's people are supposed to be paying attention to this. Again, the prudent foresee the evil that comes and they hide themselves. It's the simple minded that are going to say, oh, no, there's no connection between COVID-19 and prophecy. Those are simple minded comments. Those are simple minded comments. They are not studying Bible prophecy and it does not matter what degree of scholars they have or anything. that, that, That means nothing. The faithful students of Scripture know no way that you can say that all of this stuff we've been dealing with for the past two years has absolutely no significance to Bible prophecy whatsoever. That is a simple minded statement. And so it is that God is saying, look, first things first, when we see these trials and tribulations coming. God says, prioritize your family, Okay, Prioritize your family. Don't work your garden more than your son and daughter's heart. You understand that? Don't spend so much time outside. You're forgetting the inside of working with your children, sitting with them, becoming friends with them, ministering to their hearts, trying to see where they're at, emotionally connecting with them. I was on the phone last night with my beloved, my beloved, that evangelist. Let me tell you something. My son Caleb, <laughs> from the earliest of years, Caleb is an evangelist. He's a walking magnet. All of my children are gifted, but Caleb is the chosen evangelist in the Lemon household. No question about it. That boy can go nowhere where he does not eventually have a whole bunch of children following. Hey, Caleb, hey, Caleb, 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 can we get Caleb? <laughs> and I'm just like, Caleb. I said, God gave you a gift, son. And when I look over the past few years of how the devil has been trying feverishly to try to grab his heart. But when I think about how I have watched how God, just just when it seems like he's about to go in the fire, and God will just snatch him right back. And last night I'm on the phone with my beloved son, and I'm like, hey, buddy. I said, listen. I said, how's your walk with the Lord going, man? You know, haven't asked you that in about a week or two. I just wanted to ask him, because, you know, he told me about some, some new covenants that he's making with him and God. I let my children have their, wall. they're all in their twenties. My wife and I, we guide, but we're doing less directing. And so I said, how's your, how's your walk going? You know, dad, he says, I was in the car the other day and we just started talking about what he's been studying and all these things. And he talks about how he speaks to people. I'm telling you that boy, if you can just do me a favor, remember the whole entire Lemon clan. But I also ask for a special prayer for Caleb. There's a reason Satan has targeted him so strongly. He is God's man. And my prayer is that he will become everything God designed him to be. And so it is that it's the same for all of us. And that's why I'm just saying in the midst of evangelism and ministry and even working the soil. Don't forget. It's your household, not just you, your household. Amen. Now. When we start looking more carefully at scripture, there's another thing that God makes very clear as we as we see the times in which we're living. Right now, it's restaurants that you got to have a pass to get in. And that's happening more and more and getting more popular. What would happen if it started to affect grocery stores? What if it would start to what we don't know where it's going. We've already seen that if you if you refuse and I understand some people, some people were very ignorant as far as why they chose not to be vaccinated. I mean, if if you choosing not to be vaccinated because you're trying to follow your, a political party's agenda, that is beast mind. That, you're preparing for the mark of the beast, because what if that same clan of group of people that you like so much? What if they end up going all the way with the beast power? You're going to end up getting sucked right into that, too. So if you don't get vaccinated, let it be because of an intelligent reason, not because you're just following the crowd or whatever. If you do get vaccinated, don't let it be because I'll lose my job. Because what are you going to do when they say no buy, no sell? That's beast thinking. You're already setting your mind up to fall for the trap of the beast power because your motives are wrong. If you get vaccinated, let it be because you studied it well, you did whatever research you needed to do and you're convicted you need to do it and then go do it. But don't let it be for these strange, shallow reasons, because the devil always sets up the mind before he ultimately causes us to follow in our actions. Now, here it is when we look at here in Genesis 41, 27, 36, and then Genesis 45, 5. You'll remember Joseph. The Bible says something about the seven years. There was a seven years of famine and there was also a seven years of plenty. Now, which one came first, the famine or the plenty? All right, the plenty came first, then came the famine. Now, God, I want us to notice this because when we study Bible prophecy, there's always going to be a spiritual preparation. Always. You know, surrendering of the heart, putting away of sin, etc. There's always going to be that component. But the faithful ministers in the last days of Earth's history should also teach the practical components. Don't just go over just simply the spiritual. You got to go into some of those really, really practical points as well to give a balanced gospel message. As many of you have heard, a gospel that is not practical is a worthless gospel. We must be able to practice what we study and what we believe. We can't just keep saying lots of good concepts and ideas. But at the end of the day, we are of no earthly good because we have become so heavenly minded. you got to become earthly good. Now, here's an example of this. It says, and the seven thin and ill favored kind that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. Now, you'll know that, of course, you already mentioned it. There was seven years of plenty before there was seven years of famine. What God did not tell Joseph is because I'm showing you prophetically what's going to happen in the future. Pray more. Fast more. God actually said. Make food preparation. Are you following that? Because if there's one thing all of us have in common is we eat. <laughs> Amen. You know, we eat. It's a need. And so it is that when Joseph said this next, he says, and that food shall be for store. To the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. So notice that it's using the word land, land perish not and the land against this, you know, shall be for store to the land. It wasn't that they were storing food for the land. It was they were storing food for the people in the land. Are you following that? And that's why when you read Genesis 45, five, Joseph said to his brothers after he revealed that he was, in fact, their brother Joseph He says, now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither for God did send me before you to preserve life. So part of how Joseph was instrumental in God's hands in preparing the people for the crisis is he not only ministered to their spiritual. Did his brothers need to repent? Was it imperative that they showed forth their repentance? Yes, that's why they did what they did with Benjamin and everything. That's why they did that. They were showing fruit, meat for repentance. So there was that spiritual component. But now there's still a famine coming. And when that famine was coming, what was God's instruction? Store away food for the time when the famine comes. So you all will be sustained. During that crisis. We are told in inspiration pertaining to our dear brother Joseph and the stories of what he did in Egypt. From the beginning, God has wrought through his people to bring blessing to the world, to the ancient Egyptian nation. God made Joseph a fountain of life through the integrity of Joseph. The life of that whole people was preserved through Daniel. God saved the life of all the wise men of Babylon. And these deliverances are as what? So remember, when we study Joseph, when we study Daniel, they are object lessons of what God wants us to do as we approach the crisis of our day. They illustrate the spiritual blessings offered to the world through connection with the God whom Joseph and Daniel worshipped. So there's practical preparation. And that's Acts of the Apostles, page 13, paragraph two. There's a practical preparation that our brother Joseph demonstrated. It was not just spiritual, even though the spiritual is paramount, but there's also a practical. Now, let's move on to Noah. When God told Noah to build the ark, God knew you're going to be in that ark for a period of days. And so what does God say in Genesis six? Because, again, as it was in the days of Noah, Noah was spiritual. Noah prioritized his family. But Noah was also very practical in his preparations. What did God say in verse twenty one? And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten and thou shalt gather it to thee and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Now, if God cared about animals during a time of crisis. I know that God cares about all people during a time of crisis. And God told Noah to take enough food, not just for you and your family but also for many of those who will be relying on you as a food source as well. That's a practical instruction for you and I. And that's why whether you get a country home or whether you get country land and you begin your gardens, we should not just factor in, do I have enough space just for me? I want to think about all of our country homes are cities of refuge. That's what our country homes are. They are cities of refuge. Because there might be some people that did not get prepared in enough time and we become that city of refuge. Come and join us. All of the institutes that are represented under the sound of my voice. One day, your institute is going to be a place that is going to be a city of refuge. And you got to be prepared for that. And so it is that God is showing food preparation. Which comes from the garden is a part of practical preparation for end time events. And it really hurts my heart when ministers of the gospel are not sounding this enough. Again, country living, gardening and all these things, they are fruits of righteousness. They're not the root. We don't make a whole message out of country living. I don't like present truth specialists. We need to leave specialists to the medical world. But don't bring it into God's present truth. You know, you go to some people. uh, We need a country living guy. Oh, yeah, I'm the country living guy. Or I'm the prophecy guy. Or I'm the guy who deals with the home. When I look at Jesus, Jesus was multifaceted. You can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you teach on prophecy? And he would say, absolutely. Jesus, can you teach on the home? Absolutely. Jesus, can you speak to our youth? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus, could you talk to us about practical living and, and, and country living and trades? Oh, absolutely. And the last thing I was I checked, we were called to be like Jesus. And so you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're the health guy, but you're not the righteousness by faith guy. That doesn't even make any sense, quite honestly, because they're both supposed to go hand in hand. You understand that the goal is not to become a specialist. You only talk about this subject and you don't know the other subjects. We should be well-rounded Christians. We should be able to speak to all of it. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That now that sounded beautiful. That sounded beautiful. That's what God wants from us. Family, seriously. It's all right to have special burdens. Like I told you, my burden is the family and health. I love talking about family and health in light of last day events. Love it. But if somebody says, Brother Lemon, can you speak to the home? Yes. Can you speak to marriage? Yes. Can you speak to singles? Sure. I've been that for many years. Not anymore. Amen. (laughs) But, you know, it's like we should be able to speak to whatever the people need. Because there's just not enough workers out there still. God wants us to understand there's a practical preparation. Now, look at this wonderful statement, because sometimes. When we talk about storing food, putting away food, growing food, getting land so we could do this. Sometimes if you're a studious person, you might say, are you saying we should prepare for the time of trouble? And I'll say, yes, we should. Someone may say, but didn't inspiration say. We are not to do that. And she did. But let's talk about the context. The Lord has shown me repeatedly that it is contrary to the Bible to make any provision for our temporal wants in the time of trouble. Somebody says, Dwayne, you are teaching heresy. Step down. I would say, slow your roll. Just wait. Let's watch what the rest of the word says. It then says, I saw that if the saints had food laid up by them or in the field in the time of trouble, when sword famine and pestilence are in the land, don't lose that. I highlighted that for a reason. It would be taken from them by violent hands and strangers would reap their fields. It says, then will be the time for us to trust wholly in God and he will sustain us. I saw. Now, this is a very key point right here. I saw that our bread and water will be sure at that time. Don't lose that. And that we shall not lack or suffer hunger for God is able to spread a table for us in the wilderness. It says, if necessary, he would send ravens to feed us as he did to feed Elijah or rain manna from heaven as he did for the Israelites. Early writings, page 56, paragraph two. Love it. And this is going to be a very exciting time. I look forward to an angel serving me food. It's like I look forward to the ravens. I mean, that, that's just an amazing thing to even imagine. But let's think about this quote. This quote is not referring to something we understand as the early time of trouble. This is speaking to the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, let's go ahead and let's talk that from the Bible. You remember in Jeremiah 30 verses five through seven. Here's what it says. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling of fear and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of what? It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The time of Jacob's trouble is when we will have to leave even our country homes. The time of Jacob's trouble is when we are going to be on the run in the mountains, in the fields, in the wilderness. This is when our pillows will be boulders and rocks and our mattresses will be the grass. This is a time where every earthly support is cut off. Isaiah spells it out like this. Isaiah thirty-three sixteen. 16, he shall dwell on high, his place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks, bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. So that quote we read from early writings 56 is referring to the time when God's people are not living in country homes. We are living in the munition of rocks. We are in the wilderness. We are a people on the run. There is a death decree to the faithful. And this is going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. So do we prepare to store up food, grow food and dwell in our country homes during the time of Jacob's trouble? The answer is no. No. That is when we're going to be on the run. And like she says, we're going to lose our rights. Every right. Everything is cut off. So you, if somebody walks in your land and takes your stuff, you can't say, hey, I'm calling the cops. They're going to say the cops are on the B side. So you can call them all you want. They're just going to help us gather your food. You understand that? Because everyone who's filthy at that time are going to be filthy still. So we're going to see undiluted wickedness. There's going to be wickedness practiced without any conviction of their wickedness. Because they're filthy and unholy still. So that's that time. So in the early time of trouble, this is where God says this again and again. The Lord has instructed that our people are to take their families away from the cities into the country where they can raise their own provisions. For in the future, the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. We should when we should now begin to heed the instruction given us what over and over again. Notice it said it twice in one paragraph. God is constantly repeating himself. We know when God repeats himself, he means what he says. It says, get out of the cities into rural districts where the houses are not crowded closely together and where you will be free from the interference of enemies. Country living. Page nine. Paragraph five. Yeah. And 1904. That was written, which very important. In 1885, Ellen White said the time is coming that we need to get out of the cities. Page nine. Paragraph five. In 1885, Ellen White says we are coming, it is coming to the time that we'll need to get out of the cities, into the country, etc. By 1900, she says the time has come. The only thing that they were waiting to look out for was the efforts of the passing of a Sunday law. That was supposed to be the clue or the key. Why is it that in 1885 she said the time is coming? Why is it that by 1900 she says the time has come? something must have happened in between. And it was the 1888 Blair bill where there was an effort for the first time in the United States of America to pass a national Sunday law. You can actually go to Google and just type in Blair B L a I R Blair 1888 Blair bill. You'll get all the data on it. May 21st. 21st. Thank you, sister. And so what God is trying to say is, listen, America's already tried to do this. In other words, Cestius already showed up. Now we're waiting for Titus. So you don't want to wait for Titus and then say, okay, now let's go call the realtor and see if they can help find us a property. You don't wait for that. The answer is now. And God gave the rationale as to why. He says, I want you to get property, get land, and I want you to grow that food. And I want you to do it for practical preparation because as it was in the days of Noah, Noah, So shall it be as it was in the days of Joseph in Egypt. So shall it be God believes in practical preparation. Now, again, this is part of the message that we need to give to our people at large. We really do. And we need to do it in love. We need to do it in proper balance. Again, living in the country doesn't make you righteous. I guarantee you the devil knows how to pack bags, too. (laughs) The devil could be like demons. We're moving. And and then they'll pack their spiritual bags and they will move to your house. So don't think that the country is holy ground. The only time there's holy ground is when God's there. That's the only time. And so the country in and of itself does not save us. But one of the fruits of our connection to Christ and obeying him is that absolutely we're going to get this property and we're going to do this that we might honor and glorify God. And so there's always a practical preparation to the ark building. You want to look at your properties as a little ark. It's an ark where you want to bring people in that they might be saved. But it's not the country that saves them the same way it wasn't the food in the ark that saved those animals or Noah and his family. It was God that closed the door and it was God that sustained the boat. And that is going to be imperative that we understand that. But I'm thankful that God is practical. And so when we think about the the relevance of end time gardening, it's never been more relevant that when we do our gardening, we need to make sure that we understand why we're doing this. It's not merely so we can run a business. If you make money, hey, make all the money you can make. Because the work needs a whole lot more support. Go ahead and make all the money you can make. No sin in being a millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire or anything in between. Go ahead and make what you got to make. Just have a focus on why God gives us money. It's for three reasons. Take care of your needs. Support the ministry. Help those who are in need or less fortunate. That's it. Once your needs are supplied, here's the hard part. Once the needs are supplied, you have all of your needs. Do you know that all of that surplus money is supposed to go to the other two avenues? That's hard. That's hard. Right. Because making a lot of money can be attractive. It can be fun. We can create new needs. (laughs) Right. I get it. It's a very serious battle. My prayers are with you. How hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. God, God understands. It's a very serious issue. But that is actually what God wants is once you can say, My whole future is secure. My mortgage is paid off. I own the land. I own the house. I've paid 20 years of taxes like you literally are covered. God says, all right, your needs are covered. Now, everything else you bring in, that's called that's called surplus. All of it goes to supporting the work and helping those less fortunate. Wouldn't it be lovely if we had a sanitarium in every city? I mean, can can you just imagine that? I mean, it's like, you know, just I know, right? Can you imagine if we had that? There's some of us that are really trying. You know, there's a difference between the 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 um, there's a difference between lazy people. We call we call lazy people the unworthy poor. That's what inspiration calls them, the unworthy poor. Those are the ones that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. You understand that you don't support that. But there are some people that are trying their best and they are just down and out. They're just like, I just can't make it, you know, and I need some help. Ministry of Healing, under that beautiful chapter, Helping the Tempted, it says that we are never to say, Lord, are they worthy? We're only supposed to say, how can I help them? You know, that should be our attitude. Lord, It's not so much, Lord, are they worthy, but how can I help them? In other words, if somebody has shown they're working hard, they're doing what they can, etc., etc., then at, at a certain point, we don't try to read it anymore. You know, we read that too much. Our self-righteousness really manifests itself in our giving. Because a lot of times we're kind of like, you know, we determine if that person is worthy of our gifts, you know, and you got to guard against that. There's people I don't want to give to. You know, my wife and I, we have an account just to help other people. And we feed that account every single month. And there are times that somebody may have a need. And I might be like, I don't know, man, it looks shady. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, everything inside of me, I don't know. But sometimes God is like, son. Unless there is something evident, don't try to read the person's whole life story and all of this, that and the other and et cetera. Rather than asking if they're worthy, just talk to me about how you can best help them. And that that's more the operation of God, because at the end of the day, who is worthy of God's riches? I mean, like, seriously, look at us. I don't care if you're whatever you are today. Praise the Lord. You know, you're a better person than you are many, maybe years ago. But family, were we worthy of the riches You know, you you just got to You just got to remember that you got to take some steps back and just say, hold up, Lord. When I came to you asking for blessings, was I worthy? Nope. But you still did A, B and C. And you helped me as you knew was best for me. In like manner, we ought to do the same. But the key is, is that we need to understand that in these closing scenes of Earth's history, where the world is going topsy turvy, America is clearing its throat to begin to speak like a dragon. And as we see these things taking place, God is just simply saying the prudent man foresees the evil that comes and he hides himself. But the simple pass on and they are punished. Now, I know that there's a temptation sometimes to say. Why aren't all of our ministers teaching this? I get that. Number one, you can't pick what you don't know about. Did you understand that? You can't pick what you don't know about. If you don't know it, you can't pick it. And so if they weren't taught it in school, assuming if they weren't taught it in school and then they graduate from school and then they take their degree. And in sincerity, they're like, man, I want to serve God's people. But then they go ahead and serve. And again, fanatics fanatics always messes up the work. There are some very strange people in our movement. I mean, they are ever so strange. And as a result of their strange behaviors. When they say country living, country living, then what ends up happening is when you, the truth bearer, you know, the balanced man or the balanced woman, when we come in and we say, yeah, country living immediately they're, they're in their brain, they hear country living, country living. They, they go back to that last fanatic and they begin to associate us with them. And so what ends up happening is they're like, oh, you might be one of them and I need to guard my flock. You know, it's funny. Now that I'm a pastor. God, God, God is very wise. Oh, you you just you're wonderful. My church members are like, we want to bring this person in and this person in and this person in. And I'm like, hold up. I need to talk to them first. (laughs) And I want to go ahead and I want to clear them. I'm on the other side now. You know, before I was the evangelist, people wanted to bring in. And when the pastors would call, I'm gonna be honest with you. When the pastors would call. You know, hi, Dwayne. How are you? I used to be like, you know, you only calling me because you're just trying to check me out to make sure I'm not one of these crazy brothers or whatever. That's going to scatter the flock. And so early in my years, I had a predisposition. I already had kind of like an attitude, you know, in my mind. I mean, I didn't express it, but in my mind I was thinking it. God allows me now to be a pastor and now being a pastor, I understand way more. Of where a lot of these other pastor brothers were coming from now, not all of the pastors in my past were legit. Some of them, unfortunately, did some wrong stuff. But I do understand that burden now. I, I get it. It's, it's way more clear. And so what God is doing with all of us is he's trying to get us to these precious places that we can receive more and still more the mind of Christ. When we think about end time events, when we think about all of what's happening in our world, God is calling us to a higher state of practical preparation. There are a lot of ministers that have never studied this. They were never taught. Councils to writers and editors, right around page 29 to 33, somewhere in there, she says that many of the ministers will hear the actual truth And they will call it and receive it as dangerous food. The reason they call it and receive it as dangerous food is because they never heard it before. And so I believe God has given to all of us a ministry of education, not a ministry of condemnation. Go with the spirit of education. Go as an educator. And teach the relevance of country living, teach the beauty of end time preparation, teach the faithfulness of the word of God of practical preparation for the end times. And there's no way that we can escape country living and the importance of growing food to prepare for very serious times, which brings us down to some closing councils. When we get to our closing councils, here are five things that I want us to remember as we think about end time preparation, including the garden and country living. Principle number one. Grow what you eat. Grow what you eat. I know so many people. I have a big squash farm and I'm just like, do you eat squash? Nope. But I'm growing a squash farm. And it's just like, well, that makes no sense. Grow what you eat. Grow what you eat. Make that the priority. Grow what you eat, because this is this is largely about preparation for these times. So grow what you eat. okay? number two. Make sure you grow medicinal plants. In my last session today at uh, I think it's three o'clock, we're going to talk about medical missionary work. And the the farm, medical missionary work, and the farm. We're going to talk about God's pharmacy. Okay, so there's going to be some things we're going to talk about in that class at three o'clock. That's going to be really good. But family, I'm telling you right now, another thing. Again, end time preparation. We have to understand if we're going to keep looking to the world to solve our disease problems through either vaccination or some other pharmaceutical inoculation, that is not end time thinking sooner or later we are going to get to a time where we won't be able to buy ourselves sooner or later we are going to get to a time where we're not going to have that free access to the medications that we need to take care of ourselves and somebody says but wait a minute so what if I'm on medication right now I had my thyroid taken out and I'm on medication for the rest of my life I had I had a heart valve replacement not me but people may say I had a heart valve replacement and I'm on Coumadin what do I do now brother and I would say well Here's my understanding of the word of God. If Somebody got something deeper. Please share it. As we get closer to the end. God is going to fit us to go through the time of trouble through something called the latter rain. Okay, latter rain power, the 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 undiluted outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want you to write this down. Medical ministry, page 12. In medical ministry, page 12. Here's what it says. It says two things, all, both on the same page. It says the influence of the Holy Spirit is the very best medicine for every sick man and sick woman. Oh. OK, medical ministry, page 12. The influence of the Holy Spirit is the very best medicine for every sick man and every sick woman. Now watch this one. It then says going another paragraph down. It says and it the Holy Spirit will renew every organ of the body. And so I believe God is going to do what he has to do to enable his people with ailments and challenges and all these other things. If his plan is for us to live through that time of trouble, God is going to allow many to sleep. But if his plan is for us to live through that time of trouble, if needs be, he will renew your organs so that you do not need the pharmaceutical that behind times you once relied on with God. All things are possible now. Medicinal plants grow and brothers and sisters start out with garlic. I mean that 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 should be like no brainer. Right. Garlic is an amazing medicine. But grow your medicinal plants. Prioritize that. Then. buy bulk. Buy bulk, there may just be some things you just can't, you know, grow or what have you. So buy bulk, buy bulk and store it up. The Bible has the the Bible is not against storing. We just read it in the story of Joseph. Sometimes we make storing look like it's salvation by works. I didn't say I was saved by anything. I said, I'm storing my food because I got to (laughs) eat. I'm not saying that this saves me. I I never said that. I said, it's, 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 I got to eat and you got to eat too. And if you knock on my door during the time of trouble, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm gonna be like, well, why don't you pray? You know, you get it? So anyhow, but of course we let them in, right? Let them in, <laughs> feed them, amen. Buy bulk, buy bulk. Number four, do canning. Didn't we have a canning class here? Yeah, man, canning, canning. My wife, man, my wife is so excited about getting back into that. You know, we, we used to do a lot of canning and stuff, but we just can't wait, it's such a privilege. But do your canning. That's how you can preserve tons of vegetables and tons of fruits to last you for ages. Then finally, remember this. Remember, this is not just for you and your family, but for many who will see your home as a last day city of refuge. Forgive me for the misspelling. God wants us to understand, beloved. It's not just about us. Enoch went into those cities and ministered so that he could bring people back to his home. And while they eat of the spiritual food, we should always have something practical to serve them as well. This is end time preparation. The connection between the garden, we get it right from the soil, the most cost effective way to do it. And God says this is part of my plan. So if anybody else dumbs down this plan, that is a false message, perhaps from a false messenger. But God wants us to understand that the gospel has always been and will always be both a spiritual and practical message. And this is the practical side that I just wish we could hear a lot more of on the networks and everywhere else. And so let's keep these things in prayer. Let's not waste our time and give all this energy to condemning the others who are not teaching it. What I would like to recommend is go educate. Let them see the light of these things. Teach them and let's see where it goes. And I believe that by God's grace, there's a lot of people out there. I'll give you this closing story. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is significant because the next chapter, chapter 7, is the close of probation. In Acts 7, that's where, you know, Stephen obviously is murdered, and the close of probation came upon Israel. Right before the close of probation, And I said this one time to some of my buddies because, again, these these guys are still my friends. We talk a lot. And, And, you know, I understand where they're coming from. I have a burden. We all have a burden for the church. They just respond differently. But we make the leadership often sound so horrible. And there's a lot that does happen amongst leadership that is horrible. And is worthy of reformation. And sometimes God just wants us to try to address it the way Christ would. And often that is not done. But I'll say this in Acts chapter, chapter six, I have a lot of hope. You know why? Right before the close of probation, God anoints deacons with his Holy Spirit. Stephen was one of them. And those deacons began to proclaim the word of God with so much power and so much fire. Laymen, working for the master that the Bible says in Acts chapter six, right around verse seven or so, it says, Many of the priests believed and they also followed the same priest that was there saying crucify him. And they were crying out crucify him. Right before the close of probation, many of those priests believed the word and they followed God. I believe we're going to see that. And the way that we see it is not by operating in a ministry of condemnation, but it's by operating in a ministry of education. This message must go because we're getting close. It's getting close. It's late, but it's not too late. What we need to do is we need to be about our father's business, put these principles into faithful practice And then go and share it with all who have ears to hear, whether they be Pharisee or Sadducee, whether they be sinner or publican. Question. How many of us understood the study? Did we get it? Amen. If you're not doing this already by God's grace, are we going to make this our priority? Amen. Let us make this our focus. May God use each and every one of you. And I pray he uses me that we will be counted as cities of refuge when this time of trouble breaks loose, which is soon to come upon us. Let us all stand together and let us pray. Our loving Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the balance of your word. We thank you, dear God, for the things that we have learned. We pray, please help us to be faithful. Lord, we see that we are living in troublesome times. We are living closer and still closer to the end. Probation is soon upon us to close, but Lord, you want us to take our homes and our gardens and to allow them to be that practical component of preparation for these troublesome times. Help us, Lord, to have a good focus and to let not our will, but your will be done. And may your name be glorified as we are edified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse